Section 4 of Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave. Written by himself. Chapter 4. My First Adventure for Liberty. Parting Scene. Journey Up the River. Safe Arrival in Cincinnati. Journey to Canada. Suffering from Cold and Hunger. Denied Food and Shelter by Some. One Noble Exception. Subsequent Success. Arrival at Perrysburg. I Obtained Employment Through the Winter my return to kentucky to get my family in the fall or winter of eighteen thirty seven i formed a resolution that i would escape if possible to canada for my liberty i commenced from that hour making preparations for the dangerous experiment of breaking the chains that bound me as a slave my preparation for this voyage consisted in the accumulation of a little money perhaps not exceeding two dollars and fifty cents and a suit which i had never been seen or known to wear before this last was to avoid detection on the twenty fifth of december eighteen thirty seven my long anticipated time had arrived when i was to put into operation my former resolution which was to bolt for liberty or consent to die as a slave i acted upon the former although i confess it to be one of the most self-denying acts of my whole life to take leave of an affectionate wife who stood before me on my departure with dear little frances in her arms and with tears of sorrow in her eyes as she bid me a long farewell it required all the moral courage that i was master of to suppress my feelings while taking leave of my little family had melinda known my intention at that time it would not have been possible for me to have got away and i might have this day been a slave notwithstanding every inducement was held out to me to run away if i would be free and the voice of liberty was thundering in my very soul be free o man be free i was struggling against the thousand obstacles which had clustered around my mind to bind my wounded spirit still in the dark prison of mental degradation my strong attachments to friends and relatives with all the love of home and birthplace which is so natural among the human family twined about my heart and were hard to break away from and withal the fear of being pursued with guns and bloodhounds and of being killed or captured and taken to the extreme south to linger out my days in hopeless bondage on some cotton or sugar plantation all combined to deter me but i had counted the cost and was fully prepared to make the sacrifice the time for fulfilling my pledge was then at hand I must forsake friends and neighbors, wife and child, or consent to live and die a slave. By the permission of my keeper, I started out to work for myself on Christmas. I went to the Ohio River, which was but a short distance from Bedford. My excuse for wanting to go there was to get work. High wages were offered for hands to work in a slaughterhouse, but in place of my going to work there, according to promise, when i arrived at the river i managed to find a conveyance to cross over into a free state 
I was landed in the village of Madison, Indiana, where steamboats were landing every day and night, passing up and down the river, which afforded me a good opportunity of getting a boat passage to Cincinnati. My anticipation being worked up to the highest pitch, no sooner was the curtain of night dropped over the village than I secreted myself where no one could see me, and changed my suit ready for the passage. Soon I heard the welcome sound of a steamboat coming up the river Ohio, which was soon to waft me beyond the limits of the human slave markets of Kentucky. When the boat had landed at Madison, notwithstanding my strong desire to get off, my heart trembled within me in view of the great danger to which I was exposed in taking passage on board of a southern steamboat. Hence, before I took passage, I kneeled down before the great I Am, and prayed for his aid and protection, which he bountifully bestowed even beyond my expectation, for I felt myself to be unworthy. I then stepped boldly on the deck of this splendid swift-running steamer, bound for the city of Cincinnati. This being the first voyage that I had ever taken on board of a steamboat, I was filled with fear and excitement, knowing that I was surrounded by the vilest enemies of God and man, liable to be seized and bound hand and foot by any white man, and taken back into captivity. But I crowded myself back from the light among the deck passengers, where it would be difficult to distinguish me from a white man. Every time during the night that the mate came round with a light after the hands, I was afraid he would see I was a colored man and take me up. Hence I kept from the light as much as possible. Some men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. But this was not the case with myself. It was to avoid detection in doing right. This was one of the instances of my adventures that my affinity with the Anglo-Saxon race, and even slaveholders, worked well for my escape. But no thanks to them for it while in their midst they have not only robbed me of my labor and liberty, but they have almost entirely robbed me of my dark complexion. Being so near the color of a slaveholder, they could not or did not find me out that night among the white passengers. There was one of the deckhands on board called out on his watch, whose hammock was swinging up near by me. I asked him if he would let me lie in it. He said if I would pay him twenty-five cents that I might lie in it until day. I readily paid him the price and got into the hammock. No one could see my face to know whether I was white or colored while I was in the hammock, but I never closed my eyes for sleep that night. I had often heard of explosions on board of steamboats, and every time the boat landed and blowed off steam, I was afraid the boilers had bursted and we should all be killed. But I lived through the night amid the many dangers to which I was exposed. I still maintained my position in the hammock until the next morning about eight o'clock when i heard the passengers saying the boat was near cincinnati and by this time i supposed that the attention of the people would be turned to the city and i might pass off unnoticed there were no questions asked me while on board the boat the boat landed about nine o'clock in the morning in cincinnati and i waited until after most of the passengers had gone off of the boat i then walked as gracefully up street as if i was not running away until I had got pretty well up Broadway. My object was to go to Canada, but having no knowledge of the road, it was necessary for me to make some inquiry before I left the city. I was afraid to ask a white person, and I could see no colored person to ask. But fortunately for me, I found a company of little boys at play in the street, and through these little boys, by asking them indirect questions, 
I found the residence of a colored man. Boys, can you tell me where that colored man lives who saws wood and works at jobs around the streets? What is his name? said one of the boys. I forget. Is it old Job Dundee? Is Dundee a colored man? Yes, sir. That is the very man I'm looking for. Will you show me where he lives? Yes, said the little boy, and pointed me out the house. Mr. D. invited me in, and I found him to be a true friend. He asked me if I was a slave from Kentucky, and if I ever intended to go back into slavery. Not knowing yet whether he was truly in favor of slaves running away, I told him that I had just come over to spend my Christmas holidays, and that I was going back. His reply was, My son, I would never go back if I was in your place. You have a right to your liberty. I then asked him how I should get my freedom. He referred me to Canada, over which waved freedom's flag, defended by the British government, upon whose soil there cannot be the footprint of a slave. He then commenced telling me of the facilities for my escape to Canada, of the abolitionists, of the abolition societies, and of their fidelity to the cause of suffering humanity. This was the first time in my life that ever I had heard of such people being in existence as the abolitionists. I supposed that they were a different race of people. He conducted me to the house of one of these warm-hearted friends of God and the slave. I found him willing to aid a poor fugitive on his way to Canada, even to the dividing of the last cent or morsel of bread if necessary. These kind friends gave me something to eat and started me on my way to Canada, with a recommendation to a friend on my way. This was the commencement of what was called the Underground Railroad to Canada. I walked with bold courage, trusting in the arm of omnipotence, guided by the unchangeable North Star by night, and inspired by an elevated thought that I was fleeing from a land of slavery and oppression, bidding farewell to handcuffs, whips, thumbscrews, and chains. I traveled on until I had arrived at the place where I was directed to call on an abolitionist, but I made no stop. So great were my fears of being pursued by the pro-slavery hunting dogs of the South. I prosecuted my journey vigorously for nearly forty-eight hours without food or rest, struggling against external difficulties such as no one can imagine who has never experienced the same, not knowing what moment I might be captured while traveling among strangers through cold and fear, breasting the north winds, being thinly clad, pelted by the snowstorms through the dark hours of the night, and not a house in which I could enter to shelter me from the storm. The second night from Cincinnati, about midnight, I thought that I should freeze. My shoes were worn through, and my feet were exposed to the bare ground. I approached a house on the roadside, knocked at the door, and asked admission to their fire, but was refused. I went to the next house, and was refused the privilege of their fireside to prevent my freezing. This, I thought, was hard treatment among the human family. But... Behind a frowning providence there was a smiling face, which soon shed beams of light upon unworthy me. The next morning I was still found struggling on my way, faint, hungry, lame, and rest-broken. I could see people taking breakfast from the roadside, but I did not dare to enter their houses to get my breakfast for neither love nor money. In passing a low cottage I saw the breakfast table spread with all its bounties, 
and I could see no male person about the house. The temptation for food was greater than I could resist. I saw a lady about the table, and thought that if she was ever so much disposed to take me up, that she would have to catch and hold me, and that would have been impossible. I stepped up to the door with my hat off, and asked her if she would be good enough to sell me a sixpence worth of bread and meat. She cut off a piece and brought it to me. I thanked her for it, and handed her the pay, but instead of receiving it, she burst into tears and said, Never mind the money, but gently turned away, bidding me go on my journey. This was altogether unexpected to me. I had found a friend in the time of need among strangers, and nothing could be more cheering in the day of trouble than this. When I left that place, I started with bolder courage. The next night I put up at a tavern, and continued stopping at public houses until my means were about gone. When I got to the Black Swamp in the county of Wood, Ohio, I stopped one night at a hotel, after traveling all day through mud and snow but I soon found that I should not be able to pay my bill. This was about the time that the wildcat banks were in a flourishing state and shin plasters in abundance. They would charge a dollar for one night's lodging. Footnote. Nickname for temporary paper money. End of footnote. After I found out this, I slipped out of the bar room into the kitchen where the landlady was getting supper. As she had quite a number of travelers to cook for that night, I told her if she would accept my services, I would assist her in getting supper, that I was a cook. She very readily accepted the offer, and I went to work. She was very much pleased with my work, and the next morning I helped her to get breakfast. She then wanted to hire me for all winter, but I refused for fear I might be pursued. My excuse to her was that I had a brother living in Detroit, whom I was going to see on some important business, and after I got that business attended to, I would come back and work for them all winter. When I started the second morning, they paid me fifty cents beside my board, with the understanding that I was to return, but I have not gone back yet. I arrived the next morning in the village of Perrysburg, where I found quite a settlement of colored people, many of whom were fugitive slaves. I made my case known to them, and they sympathized with me. I was a stranger, and they took me in and persuaded me to spend the winter in Perrysburg, where I could get employment and go to Canada the next spring in a steamboat which run from Perrysburg, if I thought it proper so to do. I got a job of chopping wood during that winter which enabled me to purchase myself a suit, and after paying my board the next spring, I had saved fifteen dollars in cash. My intention was to go back to Kentucky after my wife. When I got ready to start, which was about the first of May, my friends all persuaded me not to go, but to get some other person to go for fear I might be caught and sold off from my family into slavery forever. But I could not refrain from going back myself, believing that I could accomplish it better than a stranger. The money that I had would not pass in the South, and for the purpose of getting it off to a good advantage, I took a steamboat passage to Detroit, Michigan, and there I spent all my money for dry goods to pedal out on my way back through the state of Ohio. I also purchased myself a pair of false whiskers to put on when I got back to Kentucky to prevent anyone from knowing me after night, should they see me. I then started back after my little family. End of chapter 4 
Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.